So this week, I got to be honest with you, this week was pretty difficult for me uh, to write the sermon. Very difficult. And I don't typically have a hard time writing sermons. You know, they, they say this old thing about sermons, you know, uh, spend uh, an hour for every minute that you preach. I am not sure who that guy was that said that, but a lot of pastors have tried to follow that over the years. And if you preach, uh, uh, you know, thinking in a traditional church, preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a half a sermon on Wednesday, uh, you'd spend, you know, 100 hours a week preparing sermons. I don't spend that much time preparing sermons. You know, I feel like a lot of times my sermons, seriously, like they just come. This week, not so. This, not so this week. I mean, it seemed like everything that I was doing just got cut off at the pass. And, you know, I, it just it never, it didn't really work out. So I labored for this. I'm not saying that because I think it's going to be a bad sermon. I'm saying I want you to understand. I kind of find it interesting at least. And I want you to understand that today we're going to be talking about faith. And I think a lot of this maybe as I've thought about why it was so hard and why it took me so long to write this week's message came probably as a way to teach our congregation because we think a lot of times that faith is easy. But I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. We teach that all you have to do is repent and put your trust in Jesus and everything's going to be peachy keen. But that's not on any page of Scripture anywhere. It's never been part of church history until recently in the last 50 or 60 years is when this doctrine of easy believism has come up that says the faith is easy. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. Right? So it's not that we get saved and everything is all of a sudden just easy. And let's just be honest with one another here just for a moment. None of us have experienced an easy faith. None of our faith has been this just simple thing. Oh, I got saved and boy, everything's coming up roses since then. But we try to act like it does because we bought in sometimes to this lie to a certain level that says it's supposed to be easy and so we come to church acting like everything's going good, right? How are you doing today, Pat? Oh, Pastor, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. If there's any more blessed, I'd, there'd have to be two of me to be that blessed, right? And really what Pat's thinking on the inside is, you know, I'm about to kill Harold. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she never thinks that. She never thinks that, right? But I mean, you know, you know, I mean, I mean, come on, this is really part of, this is really part of what's come, come into American Christianity. That's why Cassine Crowns wrote the song, Stained Glass Masquerade. And in that song, he starts off talking, is there anyone in church feeling like I feel? Is there anyone who feels like they're a failure? Anyone feeling small? And he gets to the chorus and says, are we happy plastic people in our shining plastic steeple in our stained glass masquerade? Faith isn't easy. And this discernment today, I'm going to be defining faith, and I kind of find it ironic Maybe a little providential that this is one of the more difficult sermons out of 13 years of sermons or 12 and a half years of sermons that I've written. It was one of the more difficult ever to write on something that we all think is supposed to be so easy. So that's my little preface. 
Do you guys know what a self-fulfilling prophecy is? Raise your hand if you know what a self-fulfilling prophecy is. Okay? A self-fulfilling prophecy, for those who don't know, is a prediction that directly or indirectly causes itself to become true by the very terms of the prophecy itself due to a direct correlation between belief and behavior. Fair enough definition for a self-fulfilling prophecy for those who knew what it was, right? Basically, you know, it's, it's this prediction that makes itself come true because it changes how you believe. So it's like, well, I'm never going to be able to ride a bicycle. So you never get on a bicycle and try, and therefore it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? That's one way to look at a self-fulfilling prophecy. So... <clears throat> You know, we talked about man camp this morning, signing up for that. And we were, there's two different man camps that we are, uh, go to or offer our people to go to. One's at Mahaffey, one's at Seneca Hills, one's in the fall, one's in the springtime. I know February doesn't seem really like spring, but it's getting close. Just go with me on it. We'll call it uh, sprinter, kind of spring and winter. So I don't know. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you guys are idiots that swim there. <laughs> And I'm not pointing at anybody. So, but, um, but, all right. For those of you who don't know, there's like, I don't know, a handful of men in our church that clearly lose their minds when they go to man camp and decide to get in that creek in the bitter cold. So, uh, anyways. All right. All right. I'm getting all off track here. Okay. So when we went to man camp at Mahaffey here recently, I went over there. I want to give you an example of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We went to man camp, and, and I expected that if anybody from my last church showed up, that my interactions were going to be awkward with them. And then there were some people there from my last church, and my interactions were awkward with them. Because I made them awkward. And Sean McCullough called me out on it. Sean came up and goes, uh, Hey, Jerry, we okay? Because it's kind of awkward. I'm like, no, dude, we're fine. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, dude, I came here expecting it to be awkward, and now I'm making it awkward, and Sean's picking up that it's awkward, and Sean's calling me out on it being awkward. Hello, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I said this is the way it was going to be, and then my behaviors made it that way. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So most of the time we think of a self-fulfilling prophecy as a negative. Right? I mean, most of the time, isn't that what we think? It's a negative thing. Like when you think about all those, I mean, I've given two negative examples. We think about it as a way to kind of stop stuff. But it can be viewed in a positive light as well. Right? For instance, what about a person who goes to apply for a job? Right? And they believe that they are the best qualified candidate for the job. And so they say, I'm going to get this job because I'm the best qualified for it. And so they go to the interview... And have tons of confidence. And their confidence in the interview gets them a second interview. Which in turn makes them more confident. And they go to the second interview. They go through the whole interview process. Depends on the job, how many interviews, right? And in the end, they land the job. Because their belief that they were the best qualified caused them to take behaviors. They approached inside the interview. They were not nervous. They were confident in their abilities, and so it came out. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy in, in like the positive sense. This happened in a place where I worked once, this positive sense of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Roger was a guy who was applying for a job as a supervisor 
in, in the maintenance department, right? And uh, Roger got the job as the supervisor when in this one particular time. There was multiple times that supervisor jobs came open. And Roger got this job as a supervisor, though all of his coworkers, 100% of them, viewed Roger in a highly negative light. Every one of them to a man, and I know because I was one of them, every one of them to a man thought Roger was not a hard worker but was lazy. Everybody thought that everybody knew that Roger constantly lied. If he told you something, you knew that it wasn't true probably. Okay? <clears throat> he would always sneak off. We had these fire doors inside the distribution center. And he would always sneak off to go do a maintenance call, you know, and, and while he was there, he'd go out a fire door, prop it open, and have a cigarette break. Constantly taking extra breaks and everything. And everybody knew this, and everybody, you know, knew all of this about him. Yet when Roger went to interview for the supervisor position, he beat everybody else out based on one thing. Based on one thing. His faith and his ability to do the job. Roger was confident. He thought he was the best man for the job. How do I know that? Because the management told us that's why he got the job. Because of his confidence. He approached it with confidence and boldness saying, I know that I'm the best man for this job. He walked into those interviews totally confident. He displayed more confidence and more assurance of his ability than any other candidate for the job. And so therefore they gave it to him. That's what separated him. Even though Roger wasn't the best man for the job by his co-worker's standards... His assurance and personal conviction landed him the job. And this is what our passage from Hebrews is focused on today. Assurance and conviction. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading again from the English Standard Version. Some of you may wonder why I give that uh, that a little thing every Sunday morning. Look, I do it because I don't ever want to have a debate inside of OCCA on which Bible translation we should all be using. I can tell you some to stay away from, but there's plenty that are great. Okay, I'm reading from the English Standard. You might be reading from something else. That's okay. They're all just translations. All right. So here's verse one and two. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some of you are reading like the King James and it's the substance and all that. It, you know, assurance is more proper translation of that. And we'll get into why a little bit later. But you could say substance, that's fine as well. So let's pray and then explore this together. Lord, we come before you and I just pray that you would use the story of Roger, um, Lord, to open our eyes to see what faith really is as we get ready to start this, this week on the Faith Hall of Fame. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in faith and that ultimately everything we do will glorify and honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said. So, Roger had a transformation in this process, guys. Roger received his job as a supervisor by faith. 
And some people are like, what? Listen, every single person I know has faith. There is not a person ever who is faithless. And I don't mean faithless in the sense of not doing the right thing. I'm saying faithless and I don't have faith. Every one of you exercised faith this morning when you came in and sat down on that chair. You believed it was going to hold you up and so you put an action to that and you sat down on it. Right? It's not a matter of whether or not we have faith. It's a matter of what our faith is in. Okay? Roger received his job by faith. He had been told by the company that we worked for they were looking for a certain type of person. They wanted somebody who was bold and who would act decisively. The company wanted one who knew the company policies and would make decisions in line with those policies like it was second nature. And they wanted one who would command the respect of his or her peers by their actions and could get them to follow them because of the type of person they were. That's interesting. I told you that's not the type of person that Roger was. But that's what the company wanted. And Roger believed he was that kind of person. Roger, in actuality, was the exact opposite of what they were looking for. He wasn't a hard worker. He was lazy. He wasn't decisive. He would, when he would make a decision, it was always in his own best interest. Clearly, he didn't enforce the company policies. That wasn't a part of who he was because he's going outside at least every hour for an extra smoke break. A firing offense, if you get caught, by the way. One time, you get fired. Okay? So obviously, he wasn't in, in any of these things, right? But he operated in a type of faith that he was, even though everything about him said that he wasn't. He approached it with confidence that that is who he was, even though his actions said completely opposite. Verse 1 in your Bible says something like this. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word that we translate assurance there is this. It's the reality, the undertaking, or the realization of things previously looked forward to in the future. Okay? Hope is not less than faith. Hope is faith with future expectation. But faith is the realization of those hopes right there in the now. That's why it's the assurance of things hoped for. That's why the King James translates it the substance of things hoped for. It's the actualization, the realization. It's the receiving that thing that you look forward to in the future. So Roger was operating with this assurance As he did, as he walked in confident in his abilities, he did all these things, and it was the assurance. It was Roger's sincere belief as evidenced by his actions that he could and would become the supervisor if he displayed the proper characteristics that the management was looking for in the interviews. Roger believed he had the job if he could just display the right characteristics in the interview. And he did. What I'm trying to say is that Roger believed that he was the right guy for the job, so he practiced for the interviews. He memorized company policies 
And as a result, he started changing his behavior at work. I told you there was a transformation that happened with Roger. He believed he was the right person for the job. He believed that if he could go in there and display these characteristics, that he would in fact become the supervisor. So he studied for the interviews. He started memorizing company policies, and his work habits started changing. It's amazing what faith will do to us. It's amazing what faith will do to us. This kind of goes along with what the apostle, or excuse me, not the apostle James, but the brother of Jesus, James, who wrote the book of James, says about faith. Faith without works is dead. That's James's words, not mine. Roger had faith, and out of that became these works that started flowing out of him. He believed that he could get it, and all of a sudden he's doing all these things. This makes sense, doesn't it? Verse 1 also says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. The word conviction is the proof or the evidence that makes someone fully agree. It's actually a variation of, our, of the word, of the Greek word for martyr. Just so you understand something, I want to teach you something that's kind of off topic here, okay? The Greek word martyr that we get that we get our word martyr from has nothing to do with people dying at all. If you say martyr now, it's death is involved. The word that it comes from in the Greek has nothing to do with dying. It simply means the evidence of, the witness of, or the proof of. Interesting how that definition has kind of changed into the modern world. And I, you know, again, and I'm not saying that people weren't witnesses and then died because they were witnesses. That's why it kind of changed the definition when it came over into the English. Because people were witnesses about Christ and then they were put to death for it. But it's the conviction, it's the proof that makes, something, uh, that makes someone fully agree Okay, so it's this assurance, but then it's a proof that makes others fully agree or someone else fully agree. Roger was working hard to act with assurance that he would get the job. And this in turn became conviction or proof that served as a catalyst for the management giving Roger the job. You see what I'm saying here? He had assurance and then the conviction came out, his actions came out and the management agreed with him. Because Roger was a witness in his own life to these things. Basically what I'm saying is because Roger acted like he had the skills for the job, he actually got the job in the end. Roger believed he had the skills, he studied to get the skills, he started acting like he had the skills, and he got the job in the end. He believed the company when they said you could become a supervisor. If he would do and be certain things. He began studying and practicing those things. And then he received his commendation by the company. Verse 2 says this. says that by it, faith, right? Because that's what we're talking about is faith. By it, the people of old received their commendation. 
The Greek word translated received their commendation, by, received their commendation, all one word in the Greek, carries the idea of, of this, to be or become affirmed favorably, favorably by first-hand authentication. Roger got his commendation by the company because he became the supervisor, which was first-hand authentication. A guy who was everything that they did not want became the very thing they wanted and then in, in turn received those rewards in his life. However, something stunning happened along the way. Roger was so transformed through the process that his co-workers changed their collective mind about him. I know because I was one of them. This is a guy that nobody wanted anything to do with him leading. And in the end... All of his co-workers that he was over willingly followed him. They willingly followed him. They wanted somebody, the company wanted somebody that the people would willingly follow, that he could command their respect. And Roger wasn't the guy that could command respect, but his faith caused him to start acting things out. And then, lo and behold, he did command the respect of his peers. He was not a hard worker. He constantly lied. He would sneak off outside just about every hour for an unauthorized smoke break. And I know that his co-workers felt this way because I was in the break room when he was going through the interview process and people were like, and this was a probably four or five, six week process. And people were like, there's no way. There's no way I'm following him. They cannot promote him. He can't get this job. It was not a serious consideration. Nobody thought Roger was really going to get the job. But Roger's faith is evidenced by a new set of behaviors that came out of that faith, turned Roger into a hard worker. It turned Roger into the guy that could make tough decisions, who knew company policy, and whether or not you like company policy, Roger knew company policy, and he was going to make decisions in line with company policy, so you knew what to expect. There was no guessing game on which way it was going to go. And ultimately, he had the respect of his peers, ensured his faith literally transformed his character. I think you need to hear that again. Roger's faith literally transformed his character. People were glad to have him as a supervisor in the end. But what caused all of this? Right? I mean, people went from not wanting him to now they're glad to have him. But why? It started with a promise from the company where the company said, do this and you'll be rewarded and promoted. Roger, probably more than anybody else, believed that that was true. And so he did what it took to receive the promise. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, what does this have to do with our faith in Jesus Christ? No matter how well-intentioned this company 
is or was, it is a flawed human institution. Okay? Sometimes it simply was not able to fulfill all of its promises for various and sundry reasons. I know because there were promises they made that they didn't stick to because they couldn't. They thought they could, but they couldn't. They made mistakes. Every company does. But guys, when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not serving a flawed human institution. We're serving the Creator of all the universe who holds everything together by the power of His Word, who can and does fulfill every single promise He has ever spoken. He is perfect and He will always fulfill that which He promises His children. He told you and I that if we would repent and believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead, we would become new creations with a new nature. I know we always want to focus on we'd be in heaven. Guys, that's not the end result. We talked about that last week. The end result of our faith is not heaven. He says in in one of the Corinthian epistles, In chapter 5 of it, I can't remember if it's first or second. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. He said, if you would repent and believe, you are a new creation. He's made that promise to us. With new natures that want to serve and follow him. We're adopted children into the royal family, guys. You are an adopted child into the royal family that is ruling the whole universe. That ought to get somebody excited. You guys look like it's not really hitting. I mean, seriously. You are part of the royal family that oversees everything. Still nothing? Like cricket chair? Come on. Come on, church. You're adopted children into the royal family that's over all of creation. Okay, thank you. That should get you excited to know who you are in Jesus Christ. The inheritance that you have. You have access to all of God's richest blessings. Wow. Come on, church. You have access to all of God's richest blessings. That should get you excited because you repented and believed. This is true of you. You know why you're not excited? Because sometimes we struggle to believe this prophetic word uttered by God to us. We're the rest of the people that went through the interview process who didn't really believe it all the way. So we didn't start taking the actions, believing it. Instead, we stood back and said, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe let's not talk about the interviews. Maybe let's talk about... And listen to me. Listen. The Word of Faith movement that basically says if you have a positive confession, you're definitely going to get it, is heretical but it's because they've twisted the truth just a little bit. I can't just positively confess that I'm going to get a new Ferrari and I get one. And that's where the Word of Faith movement goes. It goes to that level. 
But I can positively confess the promises of God and act on those promises and they will happen in my life. That's the truth that they've twisted a little bit. If there's a promise in Scripture, a rich blessing in Scripture, we have that promise from God. Let me tell you how it gets twisted a little bit. I know I talk about this a lot. I will always talk about this. You probably have heard Jeremiah 29.11 preached. And there is a 99.9% possibility you heard it preached incorrectly. I see it on the back of missions trip shirts. I see it on the back of t-shirts about our church's vision and all these kind of things. The context of Jeremiah 29.11 is this. Israel was in Babylonian captivity for their sin and rebellion against God. And God told them, I'm not going to discipline you forever. When you repent, I will bring you back to the promised land. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for wholeness and not evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. It was contingent upon a promise to them. The promise was contingent upon them repenting. Them believing that God had a plan for them and them saying, okay, God, I trust your plan enough that I'm going to stop doing it my way and start doing it your way. And God says, I'll restore you. See, you, you probably heard it preached that God's got this wonderful plan for your life and all these things, da, 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 da. But nobody's probably told you about the whole idea that you have to agree with God for that to happen. See, Jeremiah 29, 11 is absolutely true for you. As long as you agree with God. Believe Him enough to act on it. Believe Him enough to take a faith-filled risk. Do you believe this prophetic word that God has spoken, that you are a new creation? That you have a new nature? I'm not saying do you have a supersized faith, because we talked about last week, they didn't start off with a supersized faith. These folks in the Faith Hall of Fame, they had struggles, just like you and I. No, what I'm asking is, do you have a mustard seed of faith? Just a little grain of faith? Because guys, a mustard seed of faith begins a process of transformative change in those who possess it. Listen to me again. A mustard seed of faith begins a transformative process in those who possess it. Lord, I believe your promises. I believe your promises are yes and amen. I believe that I have a new nature. Lord, I am a little nervous about this because I don't know what this looks like, but you tell me this promise, and whatever the promise is in Scripture that the Lord is speaking in your heart, I believe right now that God is speaking promises to different people. Scripture's coming to your mind, things that He's promised to you. It's coming to your mind right now, but you've not acted on those promises because you're a little bit nervous. You say, Lord, I believe you. Maybe He said to you, I'm going to provide for your family. You're tithing and I'm going to provide for your family. And you're stuck in a job right now that, that isn't really working out well for you. And He's saying, just trust me, go apply for another job. And you're like, okay, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work but I'm going to go start looking for a new job. And you step out on that faith. Maybe one of your kids is wayward. And the Lord says, look, in the Scriptures, tells us in the Word, raise a child in the way that he will go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Lord, I've raised my kids in the way they'll go. And, I'm, and, and I've been confessing that I'm, I'm doubting you and that I don't believe you that they're coming back. But Lord, I'm going to start praying that they, and praising you for their return. 
and I'm going to step out on faith. I believe you, even though I'm a little nervous. And all of a sudden, it becomes a transformative process. Keith prayed in faith that Pauline would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then Jesus told him on Monday, tell her about me. And Keith said, God, kids don't lead their parents to the Lord, but I'll trust you. And he stepped out on a little bit of faith. And guess what happened? Happened today with Krista. I couldn't remember if I'd ever talked to Krista about her faith. And I sure didn't want to offend her by making it come across like I was accusing her of not being a Christian. But I felt like the Lord said, as you're talking with her, ask her about this. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm a little nervous. I don't want to offend Krista. I love her. I don't want her to think that I think she's a big turkey. But I'll reach out there and I'll step out on a little bit of faith. And look what happens. See, it begins a transformative process in us. It's difficult. It's like me writing a sermon. It's difficult. Sarah remarked that it took me five hours to put slides together yesterday. It never takes me five hours to put slides together. It took five hours just to make the stupid slides you see. After I figured out what the message was. But see, we operate in that faith. The difference between Roger's story and our story is how the change actually takes effect. It's not a company making the promises to us, it's God. In our story, biblical faith always begins with a promise from God and it grows as we act upon that promise. Even before we receive our commendation. I want to come against, again, one of the most dangerous, lie, dangerous lies in Christianity that I believe is preached all over this country, well-intentioned. I don't think people preach this lie with bad intentions. I think they preach it with good intentions, but it's still a lie. The Christian faith is not easy. It is simple. It's not 25,000 different things that you have to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. And if you are honest right now, you know it's not easy. You've had to make hard decisions as a believer where you have begged God for the strength to endure. I said something last week in a sermon I didn't remember saying, but Stacy quoted it. And they said, why is my faith not getting me through this? And I said, it is. It's just hard. It's just really hard. And Stacy gave me an amen in the format. True dat. <laughs> Read her Facebook post. Listen. It's not easy. Maybe God has told you He wants to heal you. From some emotional baggage, or for some spiritual bondage, or maybe some physical ailment that's going on in your life, but you've been nervous about this, and you're like, man, this should be easy. If this was God, it would be easy. No, no, no. It's not easy. It's hard. Get a little mustard seed of faith. That's why he says, just a mustard seed of faith will do. Just a barely perceptible amount of faith will do, and take a step. Let me give you another example of why this is, of how this works. 
And some of you might be upset with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for doing the same as manipulating people, but I don't think he is. When you go to a Billy Graham crusade, everybody that comes forward is not coming forward for salvation. A bunch of those people are part of the team that's coming up there to have the conversations with folks. Billy puts them out in the audience for a reason. Because he knows it's hard for somebody to get up and come that first step. And he says, I'm going to put brothers and sisters in the Lord out there who will get up and who will take a step. And that little must, and that will give them the little mustard seed of faith, the person sitting next to him who needs to know me to get up and take a step too. You need to let this sink in. God may be calling you this morning to heal you. Maybe your marriage has fallen apart and you haven't said anything to anybody, even your spouse. I believe there's somebody here, and I could be wrong, but I think there's somebody here who is contemplating divorcing their husband or wife and they don't even know about it. I'm telling you right now, God wants to heal your marriage today. He wants to heal it. Beyond that, I don't know what God is saying for different people. I don't know. I'm throwing out random things, but I think I've heard clearly about that one. Will you take the step of faith and let the transformative process begin? Now listen. There's a lot of homework to look at here. This all talks, a lot of these homework passages talk about us being in trials and and temptations and, and tribulations and all of these things. It talks about this hard stuff that's going on in our life and yet God is in it and His transformative power is working through faith if we will simply have enough faith like a mustard seed to just take a baby step. And then take another baby step. And pretty soon... The baby steps become big people steps. And pretty soon the big people steps become a jog. And then the jog becomes a run. And then the run becomes a long distance marathon. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18 on Monday. Tuesday, Romans 8, 18 through 25. Wednesday, Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Thursday, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. Friday, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And then Saturday, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Let's pray. Father, as the band comes back this morning, Lord, we're going to have a time of ministry, a time of prayer for those who need to exercise faith in you today, who need to see that transformative process begin in their life. Lord, I have an expectation this morning that you are going to do miracles Lord, that we might even see some of those miracles physically manifest in this place today. But Lord, I believe you that you're going to do it. And so Lord, we come with this tiny, tiny, tiny mustard seed of faith. And we say, Lord, give us actions that come in line with that. Lord, help us when it comes time for the altar call to not sit back and and wrestle with it. But Lord, to just get up and take that tentative first step. And then for you to walk it the rest of the way down. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said it. Amen.